Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Mother of All Shows, the podcast that takes a deep dive into motherhood and parenting with a comedic twist. Because if we can't laugh when crayon somehow makes its way to the dryer, getting blue wax all over our daughter's school uniform, then we're all screwed. I'm your host, Kimmy Gatewood. Today we're talking about early education. Does if and where your kid goes to preschool matter? What do kids really learn? You hear stories of how parents do crazy competitive things to get their child into an elite preschool. Right now in your town, a Lori Laughlin type is photoshopping her fetus into competitive crawling photos to get athletic scholarships at a selected private organic co-op. And what if you don't have the spare 50K to have your child play with biodynamic Play-Doh? What if you just want to go public? What is a parent to do? Well, you're in luck because I speak to an expert in the field of early education, Dr. Deidre Jones. She has worked for 15 years in the early childhood field. She manages and advocates for high-quality, cultural, diverse, and equitable private, state, and federal programs. She knows her stuff. But first, I jump into the topic with Rebecca Johnson and Amanda Diver. They bribed me with wine to get to the top of the panel waiting list, and they each paid two years' wages to get in. Do you remember what you learned at all in preschool? Like finger painting, drawing, chickens, um, anything like that? I remember a performance. The true memories I have are the, the twins, the actual twins, these two <laughs> brown-haired girls that had the most beautiful, long, curly pigtails. Oh, my God. And then one time performing. But that's it. Yeah. It's so crazy because we put so much into where we're going to send our child for preschool. and we're, I'm like... I peed my pants once. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I cried to miss my mom. You remember the twins? We put a lot in Los Angeles. People put their children on wait lists when they're still in utero. Did you guys do that? No. no. Okay. Okay. That's why we're friends. No, no, no. I, no, but I, because I, the schools aren't the same as like a small town in terms of you can't, you can't be like, can I go to a school next week? Mm-hmm. Most schools are booked in advanced so i did it like I a did very like, fancy restaurant you know what i mean <laughs> i did it booked. like march for september he so he started preschool when he was three and i went in march and the reason i did that is because preschool was way cheaper than uh nanny and um, did you send your vivian to preschool yeah she started at two and a half like she was almost three i guess it was probably eight months before she went that I toured a bunch of preschools just mm-hmm. to get an idea and uh, because everyone was so stressed about it I was like okay I'm gonna tour a bunch and just see what the hype is so I went to one of those <laughs> the hype <laughs> preschool went, hype <laughs> I went to one of those like $30,000 a year preschool oh yeah yes what is it like tell me because I was like I don't know anything about this well so like that was Disneyland the oh my god I was like <gasps> oh my god I was like we're obviously never going to do that. Right, 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 right. Uh, but like, I want to see how the other side lives. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> I want to know what I'm missing out on. Right. Like what, you know, like Harvard bound 
thing they're going to have her doing that right. we're not going to be able to afford to do and I'll pine away over. Right. <laughs> and so I went and it was like beautiful place, uh-huh. you know, all natural wood. Like a campus. You know, well, no, it was it was like a like a nice house with a nice yard, but everything okay. was like everything was like fancy and and lovely. Fancy. Fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> it's but no Harry Potter land. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no one was riding brooms. We don't have Ritz crackles here. <laughs> but the thing was, guys, then they were like, all we have for the children to play with are these gray blocks because we want... I'm not joking. I'm not. No. This is a real thing. No. $30,000 a year. And they were like, we have gray blocks because we want to... You know, we don't want to inhibit the children's imagination. Oh, so man. it's and it's all child led, play led, which, you know, so is the school that she's at now. I'm I'm very fond of this idea of like, all blocks of pale pink. <laughs> <laughs> it was God. just like nothing. I was just like, Weird. so they play with gray blocks and sticks and they <laughs> run around and do whatever they want. And you want to charge me thirty thousand dollars a year. It's not like she's going to come out doing advanced chemistry. <laughs> They're or doing even some weird dystopian future with a like yeah. <laughs> institutionalized play. They're ready for the, the future when we have nothing. <laughs> and then I toured a co-op on the other side that had like chickens. Which means that was all outside. a co-op, for those who don't know, is like you share the responsibility of taking mm-hmm. care of the preschool. But you don't. But there's a teacher. in. And then it's the often much, much cheaper. Yes. Right. So you can go for like 300 a month, which here mm-hmm. would be. A quarter of the price of a reasonable preschool for right instead of thirty thousand dollars, which is I think how much my college tuition cost at the time. Right, and then that I realized. Yeah, I realized the co-op was going to be like a part-time job, and I was like, I can't, can't do do it when you're a working parent. Right, Right. it's like you're either gonna either have to pay with your time or pay with your dollars. Well, and preschool is also like there's a difference between preschool, which is just like fun for the kid Mm -hmm. education, Mm -hmm. or for me, it was. Day, I needed a place that had daycare hours. So mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. replacing daycare, replacing a nanny right, that right. also is not a bad environment for the kid to be right. in nine hours a day. Right, because really when we're talking about preschool, I think for a lot of parents, it's not like I'm going to get my kids started with education. It's not that. It's you need affordable child care. And education and like the more uh, strict educational curriculum they have is not actually good for kids that age. Right. So like a lot of what is now public preschools, a lot of them are more like sit down, start with your homework, start with your letters is not actually as helpful for kids mm-hmm. at this age. Like they need to play. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately you have to pay to play. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pressure finding the perfect preschool. You know what else was really important about preschool? Mm-hmm. I knew some people who their preschool was one of those expensive ones, and they also had to be really involved. Lots of fundraising. Ooh. Lots of, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. parent bullshit. And I And really it is parent bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> and I really, really was, like, I don't have time for this. Like, mm-hmm. we're paying uh-huh. for our kid to go to school, and I don't want to have to have to also, like interact with the parents more than just like play dates like we don't need to have a great 1920s fundraiser for the school we're already paying yes in los angeles there are places that have like full-on there's this like fairy fair 
yeah. right at one of the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Montessori schools. Element, yeah, that's like more of an elementary school. I think but it's older, but still, it's it, insane. And there's the auctions and like casino nights and yeah, every school has uh, two big fundraisers a year. Oh like my that. gosh! When is a five k like a family fun run thing that's that we cute. all do together? Sounds tight. Timmy would it like that. I would, I would love it. Timmy made me run a 5K. Forced me to for my we, birthday. I forced Rebecca to do I Absolutely. It was the Johnson Gatewood, Johnson Gallagher, 5K race to the bar, and also <laughs> there was karaoke. I liked half of it. And you weren't <laughs> in labor. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> it's actually really fun, mm-hmm. the the 5K thing. I, I throw a bunch of the kids in a wagon and like pull them and That's walk. So I for mean, like 3.1 miles? I mean, I'm not running at that point. They're in a wagon. I'm <laughs> walking. I'm strolling. <laughs> It takes There's six neon days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are four-year-olds. When they're not in the wagon, they're out walking next to us, and nobody's is, going fast. Right. I got it. It's like it's like Hanukkah. It's seven days. Exactly. Seven days and eight eight eight, eight crazy nights. Eight crazy nights. Right, um, right, right. Adam Sandler. That doesn't work. Yeah. Adam <laughs> and then there's eight like crazy a nights a of a five k. <laughs> oh boy. And then there's like a big themed fundraiser uh, in the spring. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's. Some sort of themed party. Sometimes it's like a casino night. Uh, last year it was a like a stand up night and then an au- auction. Like it's like There's who the does thing. the stand up? I hope it's the it's children. It's probably real stand ups. No, th- yeah, they had like well, like one of the moms is actually a stand up, and then she got oh, a, n- a bunch okay. of other she legitimate put on a show. like yes. the squares yes. for their sh- their school. They do stand up, or there's oh, a school man. that people go to that Beyonce is the mom, and Beyonce performed at the. Beyonce is the mom. She's performed at the fundraiser (laughs) for a school that our friends' kids go to. Oh she performed at the fundraiser. My God. Excuse me, I have to transfer too. my daughter know, immediately. <laughs> it's so funny because you could just imagine you're like, oh my God, Beyonce is in a cafeteria performing right now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, this it's is like a fancy ass school. <laughs> all right, all right. It's a really, a really nice cafeteria. It's an amphitheater. No way. What if they just have like a mini Hollywood bowl in the middle <laughs> yes. of the school? Yeah, it's the Hollywood bowl. <laughs> oh, it's the, oh, oh my God. Hollywood I bowl preschool. You yeah. don't know about that? For anyone not in Los Angeles, the Hollywood Bowl is a amphitheater that does all the the greatest acts. They come by Hollywood. You probably heard of it. Probably he- you probably heard of it. I've heard of it. Um, that's where my uh, Beyonce is performing at our school fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> but when you guys, I mean, you guys looked at a couple of schools and who me and Matt, yeah, yeah, and got a nice feeling. We we w- <laughs> this for is this school. is how preschool happened. <laughs> Somebody said. Oh, they're doing a French immersion public school in our neighborhood. It, you can get in early if you sign up for this list. And so I just, I was like, that sounds great. And <laughs> so I just signed up for the list and like Matt toured a couple of preschools. And I said, this sounds great because it's hard to get them into French immersion yeah. school. Wait, so Lottie speaks French now? No, well, oh, no, she will. Oh. she will. But that's, I mean, this is the thing. I stumbled upon something that and i waited until the last minute to do it stumbled upon something kind of amazing because there's one in los angeles there's a couple in los angeles Mm -hmm. there's only one other public french immersion school and there's like a three-year waiting list to get in there's one in my town and it's pretty hard to get into so in your town like glendale has a (laughs) french immersion (laughs) school does everyone need to know my my town that i live in No, it's, it's not Los Angeles. It's another town. town. The town, the town is such a funny word. City? Like it's my it's town. Glendale City. It's a small town in my section of Los Angeles. <laughs> I know. But it's like another One town. of the biggest oh, cities Glendale, in the United Glendale States of America. <laughs> Glendale? 
Glendale's a it's not a big city. But well, <laughs> the fact that you <laughs> called it a town <laughs> in this huge city is Guys. just so charming. But Glendale is not Los Angeles. Right, it's also, its own sure. town. Sure, but it's, sure. it's a city. <laughs> Whatever. Come on, Staten Island. I grew up in New York city. city, so Glendale yeah. is not a city to yeah. me. <laughs> no matter what it likes to call itself. <laughs> I don't think so, Glendale. <laughs> Get a hold of you. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip with your French immersion public school. That's Our rural, out. rural life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the mayor speaks French sometimes. I'm sorry, my serfdom. <laughs> it's a town! Uh, hey guys, it's Kimmy just chiming in here. According to Wikipedia, Glendale is a city in Los Angeles County, California. In 2018, the population was estimated at 201,361, making it the fourth largest city in Los Angeles County and the 23rd largest city in California. According to Rebecca, though, it's the world's smallest town. Agree to disagree. Or just agree with me because I found it on the internet. Let's get back in. Okay, um, what do you hope to get out of preschool for your child? I hope Fred has a enjoyable time and eventually is prepared for kindergarten, but really it's that he spends his hours in a place that are not a living hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> oh, cute. No, I hope he has fun and learn and learn stuff and creates like relationships with other kids. And Yeah, it's kind of the same. I mean, I think it's Vivian to get social skills, to have a friends group, to feel comfortable and confident in herself, kind of autonomous from her parents. And then, yes, to, to prep her for kindergarten to some extent. and uh, But kind of more for life, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know for a fact that preschool is more about social skills than mm-hmm. it is about actual learning. It's about how to negotiate. It's, it's one of the last times in education that we actually – learn and actively talk about those skills like how to you know mm-hmm. I want this toy me too how do you work that out mm-hmm. kind of thing whereas kindergarten and you know lo- no child left behind we're still kind of dealing with the re- residuals of all that and like teaching to the tests and mm-hmm. all of that jazz if you will um, I'll, uh, I'll allow you to call it jazz skidoo pop teach and do the skidoo bop 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 test they don't have jazz in Rebecca's town no there's no jazz in my town too risque kind of music for me. <laughs> no dancing. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is It is more about giving them a sense of confidence and sense of self and building a community for themselves, you know, and it, it it's it's more important than I uh, thought necessarily. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because isn't there a statistic that, like, kids who go to preschool then end up more likely to graduate high school? Especially with low-income and minority families, definitely. And that's um, why I know they made a big effort to make mm-hmm. TK an ETK because that didn't exist forever. Right, right, right. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about skewels. What have we learned today? We've learned that school is better if Beyonce goes mm-hmm. to your school or her mm-hmm. kids go to your school. If Beyonce goes to your school, you better be worried because she's having some problems <laughs> if she's going to your preschool. But if her kids are going to your preschool, you're in for a treat. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the main takeaway. I think that's the mm-hmm. main takeaway. Yeah. yeah. She I'm should um, not be in preschool anymore because yeah. she's a grown adult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Solidly. Jay-Z, maybe he still needs a couple <laughs> more years <laughs> of ETK. Uh, we've also learned that Rebecca doesn't know what a town is. 
Um, I do. I live in one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that you guys don't know what a city is mm. from growing up in your rural <laughs> roots. <laughs> and uh, both Rebecca and Amanda networked their way into <laughs> <their> <laughs> schools. <laughs> into our modest religious preschool. <laughs> <laughs> neither of us are religious. It doesn't align with our beliefs. We networked our way into the most affordable, happy, sunny school that we could network our way into. Up next is my conversation with Dr. Deidre Jones, professor, consultant, and mentor specializing in early childhood education. She breaks down what a high-quality early education means. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So my professional title is Dr. Deidre Jones. I am in the early childhood field. I've been in the field for 14 years now. Started as a classroom teacher and then moved up to be an administrator. I've been a consultant, college professor. I myself do not have any children of my own, but there have been several that I have taught, mentored, and then I also have my two precious nephews. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, yeah, early childhood education Mm -hmm. is something that's very... I think important to, and we don't realize how important it is in our society and how it can build a lot of confidence. It it helps kids become better adults and and it's undervalued. And, and obviously the United States doesn't offer a lot in terms of early education. It doesn't have as much funding as your K through 12 programs would. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then when you kind of break it down, there's even less funding for the zero to three population. Can you explain like what resources and the lack of resources that pre-education, like where's early education start, I guess. Mm -hmm. So kindergarten is when technically like the government steps in and there's public schools and you have education. Title one fundings and and kind of all of that. So technically early childhood is considered birth to the age eight or third grade. Okay. But many don't consider K through three as early childhood because it falls under elementary education. You know, They're it gets basically the adults. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, it gets the funding you know, the, from the school districts, and you have the compulsory education, depending on the state that you're in, You mm-hmm. know, where it may be first grade. Even here in the state of California, kindergarten is not required. It's not mandatory. Kindergarten is not required. Kindergarten is not mandatory. The child does not have to start school until they're either six or seven, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So, and then the goals in early education are to teach them what? So with early ed, it's really laying that solid foundation. So if you break it up for the zero to three is definitely that the focus is on the social emotional development Mm -hmm. and developing those secure attachments. Then once you kind of move out of the three and you focus on the three to five, you then begin some of the skills that are necessary to get them ready for kindergarten. So that's kind of where the focus is. But a lot of times when people talk about early childhood or pre-K, they're kind of focusing on that three to five area, like right before kindergarten, 
entry because a lot of parents are like, I have to make sure my child is ready for kindergarten. They have to be ready for kindergarten. But a lot of times parents don't know what it really means to be ready for kindergarten. They think it's my child has to be able to read their name. They have to be able to, you know, write their name. They have to know all the letters and and the alphabet and colors and shapes. That's right. And drill, drill. <laughs> exactly. Henry, get down. <laughs> a, B, what's next? <laughs> right. <laughs> when really, if you talk to a kindergarten teacher, and this is something that I have done as I've worked in pre-K with the, you know, the three to five-year-olds, where I went to a kindergarten teacher and said, okay, what are the skills that you would like for your incoming kindergartners to have? A lot of them deal with the social-emotional aspect. You know, do they know how to sit for... 15 minutes at a time mm. um, because again a young child sh is not expected it, it just isn't developmentally appropriate nor can they even do it to like sit for 30 minutes and not move it's just not going to happen <laughs> but you know a lot of parents yeah. and teachers I'm glad that we can all just say this is science like you know they airplanes are every exactly, parent's you know nightmare. but <laughs> it's just not going to happen good see moms you're doing great right, dads yeah. you're doing great if they can sit you know like if they're four or five years old if they can sit 10 15 minutes that's great do they know how to raise their hand? Can they communicate their needs and wants? And then, of course, you know, do they know, you know, some letters of the alphabet, you know, some shapes and colors? Can they at least recognize their name? And then can they get along with others? You know, do they know how to share and can they be polite? Those type of things. If a child has those areas, those bases covered, it makes it a lot easier for the kindergarten teacher to teach the child what the child needs to know through kindergarten. I always like to think about the things that we teach our children and think about adults. <laughs> How, like, I wish some adults had, like, those emotional skills. Right. And you realize it really starts early, huh? It does. It does. And the, the stuff you're saying about attachment, it sounds... I, got, I was almost going to get a little choked up. I'm like, attachment, oh, God. That sounds so sweet. You mean like recognizing authority. Is that kind of what it is? Or like feeling trust? Or It's the trust. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the zero to three ages, um, again, that's when they're, that's where you get the secure attachment. That's when you're working on the secure attachments. So does the child know that there is someone they can count on that will come to their rescue, that will meet their needs? And when I say come to their rescue, I mean like meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. So, of course, zero to three, they don't have a whole lot of language. So there are other means that they communicate to us. And so if they don't have the like language. Like this, wah. Right. So like the this, crying. Ah. <laughs> and so also. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the crying, you yeah. know, when they mm -hmm. cry. Is an adult going to come and check on them to see what is wrong? You know, of mm -hmm. course, different babies, they all have different cries, you know, and as a mother or as a father or any type of parent or guardian, you learn to recognize those cries. You know, mm -hmm. when it's a cry of I'm hungry, you know, when it's a cry of I need my diaper change, you know, it's a cry of pay attention to me, you know. And so that's that why <laughs> sleep training is such torture, <laughs> because they're like, help me get me out of this prison. <laughs> You're like, I can't. You have to learn how to sleep by yourself. Right. It's such it's like so contradictory. You're like, yes, I want you to feel secure, but please go the fuck to sleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, and, and there would be a fine line. I mean, yeah, you know yeah. your child best. So yeah. you know you know when it gets to that well and scream, where it's like, okay, now they're in distress. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, it's okay. You know, you have some parents that believe that if I, you know, run to their every cry, they're, you know, I'm going to have them spoiled. 
Um, but right. really, it's just a matter of does the child know you will be there? So that's where that secure attachment is. And as they get older, it's the, okay, you know, I'm being dropped off at daycare. And of course, there's going to be that crying, you know, on both the parent and the child's part. Yes, <laughs> that is absolutely right. Yes, what's provided in the classroom is all about providing experiences because you have children that come from different backgrounds. And so they're all going to have different experiences. Um, you have some that come from high socioeconomic statuses, so they experience more than those who have that come from a low socioeconomic status or, you know, those that live in a house compared to an apartment. They're children that yeah. all come with different experiences. And so the classroom is really a means to provide experiences for all children that they may not otherwise be able to experience. It sounds like a utopia, early education. And it really should be. It yeah. should, like, if you look at, like, an ideal classroom, it would be a utopia with children coming from vast backgrounds. You would have high income mixed with low income, mixed with middle income, um, you would have different family structures. You would have those from different cultures and races and ethnicities. In my mind, like that would be an ideal classroom. Unfortunately, I would say most classrooms are not like that. Yes, we experience that a lot specifically in Los Angeles, how it gets quickly segregated very mm -hmm. quickly by mm -hmm. socioeconomic mm -hmm. and also by race. Mm -hmm. And it's strange to have to actively push against it it's good like I have to actively think about it what is though you have children of all different races ethnicities religions socioeconomic backgrounds how are these children coming into the classroom and are they treated differently I, I probably can only speak to maybe the research of it because in my experience a lot of the programs I have worked in have kind of been almost homogenous, definitely in terms of socioeconomic status. So I've worked in a lot of lower income programs. So I've mostly worked uh, for programs that were either state or federally funded. And those tend to be directed towards the lower income families and communities. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of race, I've worked in some where it was predominantly Hispanic, um, with just maybe a few, maybe about a handful of children that were of other races. And then I've worked in some um, that were a good mix. And then some that were predominantly African-American. Mm -hmm. And even that one, we had kind of some um, middle to slightly upper income mixed with maybe some lower income. So that's probably the most, in terms of socioeconomic status, diversity of a program that I've worked in. In, in terms of that and speaking to that, um, you do have some children um, that are treated differently for mm -hmm. whatever reasons, either because of their socioeconomic status or their race, their gender even, um, and even abilities. So children who have a disability, they are treated worse and differently than those who are more able-bodied. Who are they treated differently by? It can be by children as well as the staff. Okay. So teachers, you know, will even do it. Um, sometimes it is intentional bias sometimes it's unintentional bias one thing that I feel that needs to be done in the field of just education in general mm -hmm. is really focusing on cultural appropriateness and really checking our biases at the door mm -hmm. and so really examining ourselves to really look at okay what bias do I have because we all have biases Mm -hmm. But what's important is that we recognize our biases and we work on them and trying not to show them either intentionally or unintentionally in the classroom. 
one disparity that I am currently looking into and delving more into, and I've done some presentations on, is the overexpulsion and suspension of African-American boys starting as young as preschool. So, yeah, you have like three and four year olds that are kicked out of programs for behaviors that, you know, their their white counterpart may have exhibited, but they get a pass. But because they are black, you know, they don't get a pass and they are treated more harshly. Wow. And are you finding that more in more like mixed communities or is it specifically black communities, Hispanic communities, white communities? It hasn't really. I don't think been investigated as to like a specific in community, uh-huh. but research has shown that if the teacher's race matches that of the child's race, you don't have as many problems. Got it. Okay. But that's not to say that there aren't some African-American teachers who are suspending and expelling African-American boys. Perhaps out of like fear or just like the bias that society has and that's really what contributes to it and so you know even though we may be of the same race as a child we're not immune to what society and what media is kind of propaganding and those stereotypes that are displayed about certain ethnicities certain races yeah i was reading michelle obama's book and Mm -hmm. they said that bike story that her brother got a brand new bike and a Mm -hmm. cop stopped him and made him like you don't know you don't have a new you can't afford a new bike it was an african-american police officer which is like not the first thing that came to my mind Mm -hmm. when when that story was uh, unfolding uh yeah i mean obviously there's no denying that there's a huge problem specifically with African-American boys Mm -hmm. in society being overly punished and blamed for things. And I have nine nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. and my brother and sister, they're mixed children. They're half black. So I worry for them every Mm -hmm. day because I don't think that they understand yet because they're not old enough yet to understand like what the bias is against them Mm -hmm. because the way they look Mm -hmm. and does that start in early education, well, how you educate does, kids? Because actually, at a young age, children actually do begin to notice differences between mm-hmm. themselves and others. Mm-hmm. Um, even as young as, like, we'll say infancy. They can look at, you know, a person's features and just kind of realize, okay, that person doesn't quite look like me. And then as they get older, they're able to verbalize mm-hmm. kind of those differences. My oldest nephew... I want to say maybe before he turned four or when he was four, because he's getting ready to turn five. He was at his babysitter's house, actually, Mm -hmm. and had told his dad, like, you know, I look different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And of course, his dad, you know, was all alarmed, like, who told you that? Who said something, you know, thinking that something had happened there. But it was just an observation my nephew had made. Nobody had said anything to him, but it was an observation that he that he made. And as adults, we don't want to have those conversations with children because we're uncomfortable having them. Right. But we, we need to have those conversations with children because they do recognize those differences at an early age. And even it's at those early ages where some are kind of taught the stereotypes, you know, by some right. other adult in their life. And so whenever we as adults hear, you know, those stereotypes being communicated, we need to 
intercede at that moment and sit down and, and talk with them, of mm-hmm. course, in an appropriate way. You know, we're not, you don't want to pull a four-year-old and say, oh, you can't say that. That's stereotyping. <laughs> that's discriminating. That's prejudice. <laughs> you know, it's like those words mean absolutely, <laughs> mean absolutely nothing to the child. But Are you going to take away my candy? Right. <laughs> but, but breaking no. it down into to language that they understand, like fair and unfair, right and wrong, that makes that person feel sad. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you hurt that person with your words and, and things of like that. I don't like to shy away from mm-hmm. talking about socioeconomic and racism and uh, just everything that is wrong in our society. It can be overwhelming as mm-hmm. a parent, mm-hmm. you know, so you kind of just take it on a case by case basis yeah. for sure. And I think the early education system in Los Angeles specifically, rich people go to private schools. Mm-hmm. And end up being mostly white. <laughs> and then everyone in those schools complains how there's no diversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just a complaint. So um, no question <laughs> there. It's, it's just it's annoying. True. It's true. <laughs> now, can you talk to me about uh, just for anyone who doesn't know about how early education makes for a better adult? It starts with that social emotional piece. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel that is the basis of early childhood education. They develop their social emotional skills provided they're in a program that is high quality. And I keep saying high quality. And so, you know, listeners are probably wondering, well, what what makes a high quality program? Um, But it's dipped in gold, (laughs) (laughs) but definitely that, that social emotional piece. Cause I feel that that is the foundation for everything because it teaches us how to get along, you know, how to deal with differences and how to deal with, you're not going to always have your way and you can't always have your way and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I had my nephews over this weekend and the oldest wanted something from the youngest and he asked them for it and the youngest said no. So the oldest just took it and I said, no, you can't do that. But I asked for it. Yes, you asked for it, but he told you no. So that doesn't mean you get to take it. Mm-hmm. So I said, now give it back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to figure this out a different way. But I want to play with I understand you want to play with it. But he said no. So what is something else we can play with? You know, so so definitely it, it provides that foundation. You've you just know? talked to me also through, I would say, 95 percent of the arguments we have with <laughs> other people's children. I want that. No, <laughs> but Take I want it. it. I got to give it back. Can we find something else to play with? Let's get a timer out. You can play for five minutes. You have to play right. for five minutes. <laughs> It's like the very, it's good to know that they're getting an emotional education Mm -hmm. while this is all Mm -hmm. happening. Yes. (laughs) Oh, gosh. To come back, you said high quality. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? To me, what what that would mean is that you have well-paid teachers. Yes. (laughs) Just as a reminder, listeners, that child care providers are severely underpaid. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, So definitely well-paid teachers. You have a safe environment clean environment you have a curriculum that is being implemented that is aligned with we'll just say the kinder like kindergarten standards so in california we have the preschool learning foundations which are for the children three to five and you have the infant toddler foundations which are for the birth to three Mm -hmm. and those are aligned with the kindergarten common core standards so as long as you're kind of following those developmental milestones so to speak um, and you're structuring your activities and your environment that's in alignment with that the child will be ready for kindergarten Mm -hmm. high quality is also 
the loving nature of the staff. So are they Aww. really there for the children or are they there just to collect a paycheck? Mm -hmm. Those are kind of some of the things you have to look at. You have to look at the interactions. Do you hear a lot of conversation going on? I mean, even though these children are young, we can still have conversations with them, even if they're nonverbal, even if they're infants and toddlers. We can still have conversations. You want to hear a lot of talking. You want to hear, hear talking from the children. You want to see them engaged. And that the activities that teachers have set up are intentional and not just something put out to keep the children occupied. Mm. Are the teachers sitting down, engaged with the children? Are they guiding them in their exploration? Or have they just put a puzzle in front of them and they're off doing something else? <laughs> I got to check my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> what is your personal wish, you know, other than the utopia for children and then ultimately, I guess, like how that will affect our society in the future? So my, my mission and vision. <laughs> if that's what we want to call it. <laughs> yes, your so, mission and vision. <laughs> so ideally, um, I would love to see all children, regardless of their income, being provided with a strong foundation early in life, like that strong early foundation. Um, unfortunately, we kind of see, you know, those that, that have the means, mm -hmm. they're the ones that kind of flourish. But I would just love to see all children, regardless of their income, have that, have that solid foundation. Um, I myself was provided, you know, a good solid foundation, and I've seen, you know, what it's done for me, and I, I wish that for all children. An ideal program, again, you know, as I spoke, is – you know, just a program where we embrace all cultures and truly embrace it to where we're reflective of our own biases. We put those biases aside and we just educate children, you know, for who they are and just desire for them just to be successful in life. You know, I entered the field because I was inspired by my first grade teacher. I wasn't even in her class anymore. I had, you know, moved on and I was having difficulty with a peer and she pulled us to the side and, you know, helped us work through that difficulty, that problem that we were having. And, I mean, just for someone who was just that caring, you know, that really spoke to me. And so when I go in programs and when I work with children, you know, I want them to feel that same love and affection. Again, it goes back to that secure attachment, that secure base. Do I have someone that I can trust? Unfortunately, a lot of kids, they don't. You know, early in life, they don't have anyone that they can trust. And so... I would at least like to be that person that they can trust and that they remember well into, you know, the rest of their lives. And they remember, yeah, I, re I remember, you know, Dr. Jones or, you know, Miss Jones and what she did for me, you know, and how she helped me and, you know, whatever it may be, or just that kind word that I gave. Can I move to Inglewood, Dr. Jones? <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking Lottie with me. Here we go. Here we go. Well, thank you so much. It's been incredibly thank enlightening you. and you are truly an amazing educator well, thank and you. just the way you speak about children is awesome. And I promise I'll turn off minions tonight and <laughs> get down with some Paw Patrol. <laughs> Giving all children access to high-quality early education should be a priority for our society. It helps set a foundation for the rest of a child's life. It's not just about academic achievement. 
In fact, according to a Vox article from 2018, there's a sizable body of research suggesting that kids who go through intensive education at the ages of three and four don't really come out ahead in terms of academic abilities. But kids who enter intensive preschool programs are less likely to be arrested, more likely to graduate, and less likely to struggle with substance abuse as adults, and are more likely to attend and graduate college. We need to find ways to get more funding for underserved communities to make sure they have access to the type of high-quality care that Dr. Jones dreams of. And if Beyonce's there, even better. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Deja Jones, for making me want to go back to preschool and for her passion for early education. I'd also like to thank my trusty pals, Rebecca Johnson and Amanda Dybert. We will be taking a short break to enjoy the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with more fun episodes. So take this time to re-listen to all the episodes and tell all your buds. Thank you for listening. Please reach out to me through our website, motherballshows.com, if you have any questions, thoughts, or topics you'd like to hear. We are all over social media at MOASpod. This podcast is produced by Jen Perry Leamy, written by Rebecca Johnson, music by Jerome Curtinbot, and edited by Amanda Lund and Tracy Levy. I am a proud part of the Erios Network. Please subscribe and rate Mother of All Shows on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It would really help us out, like a gift certificate to Target instead of candles. We will have links to the topics and resources we discussed today on our website. See you for the next one, and happy holidays. Oh, and I heard that private school that Amanda visited is raising tuition to $40,000 this year. Yeah, they decided to add beige and tote blocks to the mix. You can read more about it on our non-existent blog. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.